Hey, this is Doug Jones from Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, Hellboy 1 and 2, Hocus Pocus, Pan's Labyrinth, and currently on Falling Skies. But today, you are listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment over here at SciFiPulseRadio.com. Now, we've been on a break for a bit, but now we're back with new interviews, and we're going to christen this one Episode 1 of Season 3 or something like that. Sure, why not? <laughs> and we're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. And Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now, for today's show, we chat with actor and web series creator Jonathan Robbins about his various projects like Clutch, Asset, Out With Dad, and more. So one of the reasons we took a long break was because of my new book. It's coming out in October. It's called Television on the Wild Wild Web and How to Blaze Your Own Trail. Um, we've been really terrible about keeping track of episode numbers, <laughs> so while we figure that out, uh, we decide, because we're going to try to do an archive of episodes, uh, we decide to start fresh for now with this being episode one of season three. And it is as good a random sure. selection of numbers as any, yes. Why not? Perfect designation. <laughs> okay. Now, before we get started with the interview, we do want to mention that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It's a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. And now our chat with actor and web series creator, Jonathan Robbins. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. So, Jonathan, how about we get started with you telling us how you first got involved in filmmaking? From the beginning. Well, you know, I actually started as an actor. And uh, from the very beginning, I was really, actually, I was in science school. And I would have gone and worked for IBM like all my friends did and, and gone that route. But uh, this calling in me was always there. I just never actually realized that that uh, acting could be a profession. That, you know, you can just do that. And uh, it wasn't until the first year of university that I discovered that, and I was in a student film and immediately fell in love with acting and and uh, and switched, you know, from what was going to be a little hobby and switched that to become everything I was doing and, and my main career. Well, I'm and sure your parents well. were thrilled. <laughs> well, you know, it's in the blood. My dad worked in television and my mom was an actress. She was, uh, I actually found out she was an actress in university in my theater history textbook. When oh, I saw a picture wow. of her and Kate Milligan, topless on stage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you had so to I go into therapy for that. years later. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But they, no, I mean, um, you know, they, they were kind of pushing me into the science, but they've they both been extremely supportive. I think they just wanted me to be happy. And my dad knew how hard the industry was from having worked in it on the camera side. And, and uh, you know, I, I think they just wanted to kind of, they didn't want to influence me in that direction, but they couldn't help it. It was in my blood. That's cool. Great. So, yeah, so I, I did uh, very well as an actor for the first couple of years. Um, right off the bat, my first professional role was opposite Robin Williams in Google Hunting. And that was a dream come true. He was, I grew up, like, I idolized him growing up. So that was really awesome. And then my next one was opposite Will Ferrell in Superstar. Uh, these are just one lines, but, um, you know, on set with these big, huge people who I adored. Yeah. And then um, it was going pretty well, but then it slowed down. And uh, I was talking to a guy who had just graduated film school, and it had 
he was now working in a grocery store and he had that uh, missing the film thing as well. And I said, well, if I write something, will you direct it you know, with me in it? And he did. And we did that. And then he ended up moving to Vancouver before the film got edited. So if I wanted to get the film done, I had to learn to edit it myself. I didn't know any editors. So I bought an iMac DV. It was the, the second round of iMacs that ever existed. I got a graphite iMac DV and uh, Premiere 3.0. And I learned to edit. And I found that I quite liked that. And then over time, I, I uh, started directing my own films at first with me in them and then thinking, you know what, it's really getting in the way to, to do both. I'm just going to try directing and not not be in it. And I like that, too. And uh, so directing became as strong for me as acting and, and for a certain period of time, stronger than than acting. And now I uh, I thoroughly love both and, and just kind of hop between, but totally self-taught on the filmmaking side. And did actually go end up going to university for the acting side. So formal training in one and informal training in the other. Now, we lived in Vancouver for a short period of time. We haven't, well, I've visited Toronto before, but we haven't. I've driven through Toronto. <laughs> oh, um, and it was, it, well, I couldn't see much of it. It was a torrential downpour the whole way. So um, <laughs> it looked lovely what I could see through the, the gray it's, downpour. You know, it's not a particularly attractive city. It's very financial. The There's no real architecture in this city. Yeah. But what it does have is a, a culture that exists um, behind the doors. You know, there, there's a real uh, multiculturalism in this city that is more so than I've seen in any other city I've visited. And um, I think that, and I think the fact that the buildings are so neutral, makes it a great filming location because it's easy to make it look like anywhere else. Yeah, that's uh -huh. a good point. Well, I remember I didn't really get to see a whole lot of Toronto, but you know, we I, we were driving through Ontario and then also driving through Quebec, and I thought that both provinces out outside of the city, out in the country, it was beautiful. I really, mm. I thought it was beautiful. Uh -huh. um, and downtown Quebec was. Oh yeah, I really liked. Uh, we went to Montreal. Or, or Montreal, I'm sorry. yeah. Montreal. Right. Yeah. Uh, Montreal is beautiful. And Toronto's where, in case people don't know, Sci-Fi Channel's Defiance is filmed, uh, where Warehouse 13 was filmed. Yeah. So, but I'm, I'm wondering what the independent film scene is like in Toronto, though. I mean, obviously, very active web series creation being done there. Um, can what, can you give us an idea, like, what's what other web series and projects are being made out there? You know, I mean, definitely the web series community is, is the strongest. And a lot of people that were previously in the independent film community have moved into the web series community. Um, so I, I think in that sense, it's very true that web series is the new independent film. However, there are certainly a number of independent projects happening. I've been acting in a number of them, short films. I'm about to do a, a feature, which it's actually being shot up in Sudbury, but, uh, that's an Ontario independent film. And I, I would say it, it's, it's strong. Uh, I understand in Vancouver, it, it's mostly American productions casting small roles to fill themselves out where I would say in Toronto, the majority of work is actually, Canadian homegrown production with with some big American features like Robocop and Total Recall that come in and Incredible Hulk I think you know usually one or two per year like that right now there's an Adam Sandler film shooting here and you are a member of the independent web series creators of Canada I'm not gonna yes, try to I'm on the board and it's really exciting it's cool because for a long time we were just international academy web television you know it was cool to see canada create their own group and i want to tell us a little bit about that group and what it offers web series creators i think it's it's an important group to exist because you know one of the challenges that all web series create uh, face everywhere is funding 
And having an, or an organization, having uh, a nonprofit incorporation makes it so much easier to approach other organizations and, uh, and, and lobby for funding. They just, they, for one thing, they take you more seriously. Uh, we were able to put on the Toronto Web Series Festival and uh, it was a lot, we were able to do more with our money because we're a nonprofit incorporation. Whereas if we were just a group of, of independent web series creators, we would have been paying full price and, and it just, we wouldn't have been able to do as much with that. So I think the simply the fact of organizing is the first step that gives us a lot of leverage. We've recently uh, worked with a third party company called Nordicity to do a survey of web series production. Now it was an Ontario funded survey, so it only covers Ontario at this time, but out of, uh, we had calculated or figured out that there's, I believe it's 110 web series creators actively working in Ontario. And we had, I believe it was 95 of them fill out this survey. It's a hmm. very, very high response. They said it was an unprecedented response, which shows the passion of the web series community. And as a result of that, we've been approached by Google and some other places who are interested in expanding that survey and taking it nationwide and, and eventually international. So I guess the, the first thing that we're offering creators is something you technically don't have to be a member to benefit from. And that's that's the lobbying for web series funding and, and um, greater awareness and knowledge of web series. So in that sense, being a member is being part of something you believe in and contributing to a cause. But we also make sure that there are some direct benefits for members. One of them would be uh, the biggest one right off the bat is a discount to submitting to the Toronto Web Series Festival so that uh, you're making most of your membership money back right there and it pays for itself. There's some other discounts. We've organized one with William F. White's for production rentals. We also have um, roundtable discussions uh, that are Google Hangouts with uh, we've had representatives from Smokebomb, we had Jill Golick from Ruby Sky PI, and it's a chance to join in this Google Hangout uh, and ask them the questions you've always wanted to ask them for for an hour. Uh, and then those are all available for members only. So so there's certainly some direct benefits to being a member as well. That's cool. Now, am, am I correct in that, or it could be completely off base, I thought for independent filmmakers up in Canada, is there some sort of, you know, financing or, or financial help that people can get through the government? There is, yes. Um, there are various forms of arts funding. Uh, I guess, you know, there's the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council. So on, on various levels and various forms of government, there is arts funding available in limited amounts. Mm -hmm. It's all on really shaky ground right now, whether that will last or not. Every year they say, we might not get it next year, and then it comes through. Uh, it's also extremely competitive. It yeah. takes a lot. It's a full-time job to apply for it. So uh, it's not handout money. You definitely have to work for it, but it is available. Like the Independent Production Fund, for instance, for web series, uh, had 180 or 190 applicants this year, and about 12 of them got money. So it, wow. it's very competitive. But yeah, I think that IPF is really great. I mean, it's really helped web series in Canada really grows. Yeah, like. I remember when we were in Vancouver, heard people talking about that and we were like, what, what? The government helps give you money to help you make an event and stuff? We call those credit cards here. <laughs> <laughs> the IP is not government. They are an independent organization. Oh, that's uh, great. Had a charitable donation 20 or 30 years ago to perpetuate the arts and they've designed themselves as a uh, self-sustaining 
fund. So um, they're investing in projects looking to get money back from them. And they recognize that that's less likely to happen with web series. So most of their money comes from film and television, where but they believe that, that the money will be there in web series. And that's why they're uh, investing a, a portion of their funds in, into those. Yeah, because it's just in the early stages now, just like, you know, television, traditional television and traditional filmmaking had beginning stages too. And for sure. So. Uh, so now one of the web series that you're very involved in uh, on multiple levels, and it's uh, lived a few seasons now, is Clutch. It still lives. <laughs> it lives. It's it's living right now. In fact, uh, about half an hour ago, I was working on the, the script for the feature film continuation of the series. Oh, great. great. Uh, can you tell our audience a little bit about what Clutch is about? I said about yes, several Clutch times. Clutch is a uh, femme fatale action series about women who are faced with incredulous circumstances by ruthless men, be it mob bosses or human traffickers, and they fight back. They have to stand up for themselves and fight back. We go to the places that a lot of web series won't go, using dominatrixes and, and prostitutes and pickpockets, and take these underdog women and then make them the heroes. Cool. Now, what was the inspiration for this? You know, the, the direct inspiration was that I just adored Robert Rodriguez films. Um, I really liked the uh, the TV show Alias. And uh, and so ultimately, I just kind of wanted to make a really cool thing with an ass-kicking girl <laughs> and, uh, and wanted to kind of do it grittier than I had seen it done before to, to give it my twist. The real root of that inspiration uh, comes from my mom, who uh, has led a very interesting life, to say the least. She, at the age of about 55, became a nun, um, which was a real fight to, uh, to join an organization who traditionally brought people in when they were young and didn't have a family. Mm -hmm. And so to do that at her age and, and with a family, um, uh, she really, really had to fight to make that happen. And um, and she was sent to places where she really had to, to fight to survive. She lived in Kenya for six months but uh, and worked in the places that wouldn't be on the map. Uh, they wouldn't be on the map because why would you ever go there? I mean, <laughs> literally uh, 200 tents on a square block in the middle of nowhere. I mean, like, this is the kind of place that she was working and, and, uh, and doing what she could to make a difference as, as a missionary would. And so she's such a, a fighting woman that ultimately that fighting woman spirit translated into into my stories now she wouldn't approve of the fact that i have them fighting with guns but, uh, <laughs> it's the same spirit she sounds like a quite a character well and if I you're think. doing everything that your parents would approve of you're not stretching yourself enough you yeah, know <laughs> yeah. you'd make yeah. you make little children movies and make sure <laughs> your parents don't disapprove of something <laughs> and then clutch is, is gritty there's a lot of violence there's a lot there's nudity and such it's definitely like something more like you in america you would see on hbo or something in content um with a very strong disclaimer <laughs> <laughs> but uh well, I, thought, I thought it was important to a lot of people actually make fun of that i, I think it, i just thought it was important you know the internet because there's no censorship that works to our advantage for distributing it, but also to the disadvantage of, you know, I wouldn't want someone to, to say, Oh, you know, I heard of this show and start watching it with their kid and not just not know. And <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of seemed like the only responsible thing to do was to put a disclaimer beforehand. But uh, I'm a fan yeah. of those actually. Cause I, I, I just think I'm a big fan of 
putting the information out there and letting people choose what they want to watch. Yeah. And, you know, it's also, as a filmmaker, it was important to me with the nudity that it wasn't an exploitative nudity, that it was very much, I just, I'm telling a story that lives in this world where that is part of the world. Mm -hmm. And to not show it would be the equivalent of the L-shaped sheets in movies. It's just, it takes you out of the reality a little bit. And, uh, and I didn't want to do that in the story at all. And so we have male nudity, we have female nudity. Um, but always in the edit, there was there was one, actually, uh, Jeff Sinizak, who plays Mike, had a nude scene as well. And much to the uh, the dismay of many of our female fans, I had to cut it. Because it just <laughs> fit. You know, he, he looked awesome. He had, he had Donna stuff for that. Well, you can see him without a shirt on and one shot still, and uh, one scene still. But um, it did. It, w it would have been exploitative to put it in. It would have been in totally gratuitous, and so it got cut. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what happens when an actor reads, oh, nude scene. All right, hit the gym. Hit the gym. And then they go, you know what? We decided afterwards, no. And he's like, damn it. <laughs> I ate baked chicken and drank water and lifted weights every day for a month. <laughs> I'm dying for pizza. <laughs> um, so now... So how difficult was it getting Clutch started and, and maintaining it for, for this amount of time? Because, um, you know, it's, as we talked, I think, as you mentioned earlier, you know, web series, it's difficult to, to monetize, to, to make a, a, yeah. much of a profit off of it. I mean, it's getting better and better every year. But can you tell us a little bit about those challenges you faced? For sure. It was, it was difficult to start because at the time, um, web series were, by most people, considered... Uh, really cheap or um, not worth their while as an actor. So my goal was to look as professional as possible and to attract actors that, that you would get going for a film. So I used a casting director um, and, and kind of had proper auditions that way. Uh, and and proving that I'm right, you know, Matthew Carvery, who plays Matt in the series and ended up becoming a producer of season two. And of course, we, we went on to work together on Asset. Uh, he said that he almost didn't come to the audition because he thought, do I really want to, you know, spend my afternoon auditioning for a web series? That was the general opinion of, of, of web series at the time by the majority of people. And then he showed up to the audition and he said, oh, wow, this is kind of professional. And then the other thing I did is that when we shot the first couple episodes, we had a full production truck with, with a crap load of equipment and a, a full team. And so people... You know, I knew that I wanted to get these people's commitment for the next few years to keep working on this. And so, uh, you know, first impressions, right? They walked on and, and they knew that I was taking this very seriously. And it, it changed their impression of web series. And I'm not saying we were the first to do this. There were a number of people that had done it prior, but it still wasn't um, wasn't in the public mind that, that a web series could be like a film. And we wanted to treat this like a film. Now, that cost a lot of money. <laughs> Those first, that first two episodes, which was shot uh, together, uh, probably cost as much as the rest of the season. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. we couldn't sustain it uh, at that production level. But by then I had earned the loyalty of everyone and they trusted that even if we cut back on, on the crew and the equipment that we would still deliver something worthwhile. And, uh, and so continuing, it was actually easier because now it was a team of people all invested in it. I, I don't even know that I would have done season two if it wasn't for the cast and crew saying, we got to do season two, what's it going to take? So it kind of just became a, a force of its own. And, and 
you know, to some extent, it's true that the creator still does everything. But now I, I've got people that I can ask to, to help. And you said you're, you're talking about continuing it with a feature film? Yes, that is in development. Frostbite Pictures is producing it. And um, Jillian Clare, who plays Nicole, uh, she won the Indie Series Award for that role this year. She is attached to star in it. Um, it will feature some of the other famous clutch characters. Mm -hmm. In a sense, you could call it a spin-off story. So it will be a standalone story that to a non-clutch crowd will play uh, just fine. But to the clutch audience, there'll be added levels of, of uh, detail to appreciate. And uh, the script is almost done and, and we'll go into the pre um, preparation and, and uh, uh, fundraising and, and whatnot to hopefully get that to camera in a year. Great. That's great. We'll be looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, it, it's going to do, my goal is to do for film what, what Clutch did for web series, which is take an existing genre and elevate it. And that genre is the vengeance cinema, um, sometimes called rape films. And to, to take that idea and elevate it into something responsible uh, that accomplishes the same, the same goals without being exploited of the way many of those films were. Now, you mentioned Asset, which is another uh, newer web series that's on, um, I think it's on Just a Story right now, correct? JTS? Yes, that's correct. It, the full season is available on JTS.tv. Okay. Um, we are looking at uh, releasing elsewhere, but no firm plans have, have been made on that yet. It was an expensive show to make, and we want to make some of that money back, so uh, hence keeping it behind this prescription paywall. But it's uh, it's very worth it. If you wanted to binge watch, you could pay three ninety nine and go and binge watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those people who don't know, JTS is a, it's like the Netflix for independent web series, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and they've got a, a growing amount of content, which is uh, exceptional, and and several shows which you can only see there. Polaris for one, Acting Dead, which Jillian Clare is also in. Um, some really, really great, great material. So you're not. It, what's nice is that you're not just paying for one show. You actually are. Um, supporting the independent community overall by by subscribing yeah i think it's yeah. you know a good idea yeah well and the advantage of watching it on jts.tv is that you don't have all those little pop-up ads and pre-rolls and post-rolls it's just it that's why it's called just the story it is just the web series you're watching mm -hmm. yeah and since we mentioned asset what is asset about asset is a espionage thriller about a Canadian civilian named Eric Blair, who is played by Matthew Carberry, whose ex-girlfriend happens to have married a Russian arms dealer. And the CIA has been trying to get at this Russian arms dealer, but he can smell a spy coming from a mile away. So they figure if they get this uh, ex-boyfriend in there, then uh, Valentin will never know that he is working with the CIA, and that's their way in the door. So uh, he's got no training. They are a small operation out in Prague with uh, a low footprint, so they can't be giving them all the fancy spy support and gadgets. So they're pretty much sending in a civilian on their own, on his own. And they know it's a dumb idea, but it's the only thing they've got. And, uh, <laughs> it's the best dumb idea we have. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly it. Uh, and we got to film it uh, largely in Prague. So there's some really, really beautiful uh, exterior shots there. And it's got a, a amazing cast. It's funny at times, but I, I'd say it's mostly a, a dramatic thriller, a dramatic thriller for the Americans. And um, no, we say dramatic. Oh, do you? Okay. 
I got, see, the IAWT Review Awards when I presented Best Actress in a Drama, everyone laughed, and I'm like, why are they oh, laughing? Oh, no, we say drama, but if you say dramatic, it's dramatic. But if you say a drama, it's drama. Yeah, so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> the English language is not known for its simplicity in any form. Well, he's speaking English, too, just Canadian. In any form. <laughs> or, yes, or Well, or that's okay, the English think that they're speaking English, too, but we know they ain't. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so that's Asset. And I've seen some of it. It's really good. And what's what's the future of Asset? Is there going to be a, a potentially a season two? Or there certainly will. Yes, we um we actually applied uh, again with the IPF for season two funding, and we're very close to getting it. But uh, ultimately, um, it's only been in release for a couple of months, and they they kind of wanted to see where it goes and over the course of the year in terms of audience growth and, and whatnot and uh, and asked us to apply again next year. So the hope is that indeed our audience will grow and uh, and we'll we'll pick up some festivals and some awards. It's, it's playing, uh, I believe, this weekend at the Melbourne Web Fest. Well, it is playing. I believe it's this weekend <laughs> at the Melbourne Fest, which, uh, which is pretty cool because they had very, very few uh, official selections. It was, it was tough to make that cut. So I think we are starting to prove that, that it does have some legs, and uh, we just have to kind of keep doing that for the year, and then we'll have a good shot at getting that funding for next year so we can continue. There's no way we could do that show like Clutch on, on No Dime because it's, um, well, it is set in Europe for one thing, and uh, it, it's just kind of a, a bigger production value story, so it, it needs the money to, to make it properly. Mm-hmm. We often ask people what their funniest story on set is. Yeah, for any, sh- any show, really. Any show, really. It doesn't have to be clutch or acid. It could be anything you've worked on. Oh, there's so many funny ones from Out With Bad. Uh, but uh, one comes to mind actually is an acid story since we were just talking about filming in Prague. <laughs> um, we, uh, we we arrived in, in Prague on, on the first night. And uh, even though we had just flown for like 19 hours, uh, of course, we're so excited. We, we wanted to, to see the city. Uh, it was evening there at that time, like 9 p.m. or something. And so we went out and walked around the streets and we saw somebody uh, with, uh, with a beer on the street. And we're like, wow, this is awesome. You can, you can drink on the streets here. This is awesome. <laughs> so we, uh, we went in and we, we got some, some local Czech beers and, and we're walking around the street with them. And then we found out, actually, you can't walk around the streets. <laughs> some guy just was, but that doesn't mean it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, and apparently, you know, we could have gone to jail that night if we were caught. So that was kind of funny, the realization that uh, don't believe what you, you know, it was just, just like such Just because someone's tourists. doing it doesn't mean they yeah. ought to be. <laughs> such tourists. So, that was pretty funny. Now, you mentioned Out With Them. <clears throat> yes. And that's one I forgot to actually mention. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Out With That... Um, was the most magical experience of my life, truly. I met Jason Lever a couple of years ago. Um, we were both at a uh, an event where you could pitch your web series uh, to advertisers for potential funding. And he was pitching it with that, uh, which was then in its second season. And I was pitching Clutch. And, uh, and we got to know each other as creators. And then we ended up both being finalists at the LA Web Fest that year. And, and then therefore we went to Marseille together and we got to know each other in Marseille. Um, so we had become quite good friends as, as fellow creators and we were sitting in, in a bar in Toronto one night and he confided to me that, uh, Will Conlon, who played Nathan, the, the, uh, the dad in the show, 
was not going to be returning for season three. And, and he was asking for, you know, not advice, but well, I guess, yeah, opinion and advice on how to handle that and, um, and what to do with changing the lead. And he said, I know for clutch, you know, your lead couldn't come back in season two and how are you handling that? And so we started talking and then, and I said something to the effect of, uh, oh, well, you know, it's too bad I'm in the union or I would love to audition for the part. And then the way he tells it is something clicked at that point where um, previous to that, he had been thinking, oh, it's too bad Jonathan's not an actor because I'd love to have him audition for the part. And uh-huh. then he heard me, he's like, wait a minute, Jonathan Actors Union, that means Jonathan is an actor. <laughs> so we started talking and then, uh, well, circumstances changed. And uh, for a number of reasons, I quit the Actors Union so that I could uh, act in non-union material. Uh, and then it, it was possible for me to audition for it with that. And, and I did audition and it was the coolest audition. Kate and I did some scenes together, a couple of scenes which were from, uh, well, we, I did the scene uh, in the movie theater where, where uh, Nathan thinks she's coming out to him. So I did a couple of existing scenes and then a couple of new scenes from season three. And, uh, and Jason recorded those. And then afterwards we hung out and, and had wine, the three of us together as friends. So it was a really unique, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful mm-hmm. audition. And uh, and he showed that tape around the cast and crew to ask their opinion, you know, bringing in a new actor in, in such a pivotal role for the, the show. He really wanted to make sure that everyone was on board with it. And I sat in suspense for quite some time until we had a, an event of some sort. I don't even remember what it was, maybe watching the Oscars. I don't remember at his house. And we're all sitting there and uh, Mike Donis arrives and he says, oh, hey, Jason. So have you have you found your new Nathan yet? And I'm like, oh, uncomfortable. Like, you know, what if maybe I didn't get it or he's not ready to decide. I just kind of uncomfortably looked away. And then Kate says, well, we did. And it took me a moment to realize that everybody was looking at me and that was all planned. And that's how he was offering me the role. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, you know, just, just an awesome experience right from, right from the start like that. And then the first day filming, the first scene you see in season three is the first scene we shot. And it, it was very symbolic. The first thing I did as Nathan was placing that couch down. And, and, you know, the characters are off to a new start. And literally, it is a new start with me in the role. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, um, Mike said to me, he said, you know what? You're, um, you don't seem like new Nathan to me. You just seem like Nathan. It just, it just fits. And it was the, the nicest thing that someone could say. And, uh, and the entire cast and crew gave me that vibe. It just, I felt right at home. And, uh, and, you know, as, as perfect as Will was in the role, and yeah, I think he was perfect, and as, uh, as loved as he is, I, I think uh, I've been lucky enough to receive that equal uh, attention and, and feeling and response from the fans. And so, it, you know, we truly share the role, and, uh, and the response has just been, been phenomenal from, from people that have accepted uh, the changed face. It's always an element in... Um web series I've always been a little nervous about because you have these ongoing you know seasons and you have to worry about um, whether or not your cast can keep returning especially on independent budget yeah it's um, nice when it works out yeah, yeah. I, mean, I know like super knocked up they had to change their lead in season two also and so I'm glad mm-hmm. that uh, it looks like fans embrace that I always get nervous that fans would be like what what's up with this but well, you know they do it in soap operas all the time it's true it would be did, like this did, voice did that they do says, that is there a voice whenever you first appear <laughs> <laughs> the role of dad will now be played by Jonathan Robbins. <laughs> and then they just continue on. 
<laughs> we talked about, you know, other other uh, famous roles that have been done the same way. James Bond, Doctor Who, of course. And there is the uh, Nathan theory right now. Bewitched, of course, the dad and bewitched. You should like walk into a closet and come back out a different guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> my personal theory is that will conlin who had a, a role in in clutch he he guest starred in uh the second episode of, of the second season and caitlin medrick who plays lex in clutch and claire and out with that uh tortures him in in that scene so my theory is that there was some reconstructive surgery <laughs> there you go they exist in the same world but i don't think jason likes that idea <laughs> It's the seedy well, side of Out with Dad. <laughs> <laughs> we did mention IPF. So I'm kind of curious, how difficult is it to apply for that? What, what kind of hurdles do they make you go over? It changes every year. So I don't know exactly how it'll be next year, but it seems to be kind of growing upon itself. Beginning last year, they started having people create a concept trailer. Uh, well, they call it a concept video. I guess most people interpret that as a trailer to, to show your, your idea. And that, um, in some senses, made it made it harder for people to go through that first stage, and in some senses, made it easier because it's allowed them now to take the time to uh, build the world and 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 um, find begin finding your audience and, and all of those things uh, before. So that's that's stage one. So you you put that uh, trailer out, and for about a month, they're monitoring the response of it. They're monitoring how many views it's getting, how people are reacting to it, what they're saying about it. Uh, their own opinion of, of your it's a demonstration of your skills okay. so that's like 180 or 190 to that and then they'll invite between i think around 30 to 50 of those to go into the second phase which is the hard one the second phase is a lot of paperwork business you have to have a complete budget the scripts the uh the production plan the marketing plan our application was about 100 pages it's a lot of paperwork over, over a period of, of a month. So I guess I would say in that sense, it's difficult. You really have to know what, what you're doing and what your plan is and have attached as much po as possible to it. As many distributors that will give you letters of, of intent to say that they will distribute it afterwards. If you can get big name actors attached to it to say they'll be in it if you get the funding. Uh, all, all of that stuff will, will help you. It's not essential. I mean, certainly some shows that didn't have things like that got funding but uh it'll go a long way uh -huh. to getting you in the door so a lot of work in advance and then still your your chances are so slim of actually getting the money do you know how many people apply every year i mean have you ever given those numbers out yeah so there was 180 that that made the trailer and put that up and went through the first round and then something between 30 and 50 that that did all the paperwork and everything for the second round to to shoot for the uh the money at that point Oh, wow. And how many get people get it? About 12. Wow. <laughs> it's better than the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. And, you know, if, if you play your cards right, that work won't go to waste. Because um, um, what we had last year with Asset, uh, I became involved with Asset when it hit the second stage. Um, during the first stage, Jason Lieber and I had a project together called Dance by Day, which was about a modern dance company in Toronto, fictional modern dance company. And we did the trailer for that, and you know it had probably 4,000 views and lots of positive response. Things were looking pretty good for it, and we didn't even make the second round with it. So you never quite know what they're looking for and what, what's going to fly. But luckily, uh, I knew enough people in Asset that uh, when it made the second round, they brought me in as a co-executive producer and co-writer and 
and co-director. So I still had my, uh, my work, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, you can't spread yourself out too thin either. So there's a very good chance that, that none of the projects you're attached to are, are going to make it forward. There was a couple this year that I was sure were going to get funding and they didn't. So you never know. And a lot of times whenever you create a television series, they suggest you create like an like a Bible of your series, like which is essentially like a guidebook of, mm-hmm. of the characters and plot lines. Do they have you do that for the for that fund or something like that? Absolutely, a Bible is part of the application. Yeah, the more information you can provide about what you're doing, and I guess that's what I meant by if you play your cards right, that won't work won't go to waste, because uh, you know now I've got this show called Dance by Day with Jason, which is kind of all ready to go if we find a way to to pay for it. And that might be crowdfunding, that might be uh, another sort of some sort of dance funding, um, or we might scale it down and figure out how to do it for less money and do it out of pocket. But the, the work is all ready to go. The plan is there, the scripts are there. So in that sense, um, even though you're doing this work and you might not get the funding, well, you've helped develop your show. So it's not for nothing. Yeah, and now there's opportunities that could have come about mm-hmm. that so there weren't exactly. there before. Now, we've talked already about quite a few, I think, tips if people are listening or web series creators and stuff, but is there anything specific that you would like to give as a tip to someone who might be listening who's a, either a web series creator or, or maybe an actor, because you have quite a bit of acting training and background that you might like to share? I think as an actor, I, I find doing a web series is really no different than, than any other project, other than the fact that uh, if you are a recurring, a recurring character, I think you should seriously plan on, on committing yourself to a long time to the project and make sure it's a project and people and a character that you are in love with enough to do that. Um, because it, it's doing a disservice to yourself and to, to the series if, you know, if you're only intending to do it for a quick fix. But if it's, you know, a team you want to become involved in, yeah, I guess I guess just, know, you know, like the people, like the script, like everything about it enough that you're going to want to do it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And as a filmmaker, everybody always says this, it's make sure you get good sound. But it's easy to say that and hard to understand what that actually means. A lot of people will misinterpret, get good sound. Okay, well, we'll just get a good sound recorder. There's more to it than that, though. You have to make sure that you're building for sound as much as you're building for picture you choose locations based on what they look like but you need to pick locations which are conducive to recording good sound and if they're not then you have to plan on adring those scenes like we did for a lot of the exteriors and and asset and planning to adr means that you you know you, you just you have to budget for it you have to put all those things in place and then not just having a good sound recordist you can have a great sound recordist but if you don't have a good sound designer and a good sound mixer, then all that great recording is going to go to waste. So there's so many levels and elements to sound, um, more so than picture, I would say, that that uh, the, the best thing you can do to get good sound is to hire your sound recordist, uh, your sound team in advance, and talk to them and ask them, get them involved in the pre-production so that they can help you make sure that you're going to be creating something that's conducive to the sound. It could even be a wardrobe choice that you have for a character where uh, if you're undecided between two types of clothes, they'll, they'll be able to say, well, this, that's noisy clothing. The labs won't work very well on that, that shirt. So pick this one instead, just getting them involved in that process will, will really help. I'm so glad you said that. My biggest pet peeve for filmmaking is bad sound. If I can't tell what people are saying, I don't know what's going on, or it's like really loud and soft and then loud, 
I, yeah. I you you lost me. I don't care how pretty it looks. I don't care how good the acting is. I truly, truly will hate the film. I just can't even sit through it. It's just so maddening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and something you, that you and, can take great sound and put it with really ugly, gritty images and still have an awesome film. But you can't do the other way around. Yeah, yeah. and and it's unless someone has, I guess, either seen really a show with really bad sound or really screwed it up once themselves it's hard to sometimes explain to people that it's no it's the sound the sound is the problem or or it'll save it or it'll kill it <laughs> for sure yeah an audience will always notice bad sound yeah because i mean so much of <clears throat> the stories is cued to you by the sound if you can't understand the dialogue it's like i have no idea what's going on between those two characters <laughs> <laughs> And it'll take you out of the reality if, if um, there's a phenomenon on Canadian television where a lot of it uh, is made so quickly on, on such a, a low budget. Now, this isn't true of the, the, the good stuff like Orphan Black or Flashpoint, but a lot of the smaller shows, mm -hmm. they have great recorded sound and then they take that and they mix it, but that's about it. There's no other sounds. You just hear the onset footsteps and the dialogue and mm -hmm. it, it's really clean sound, but it's empty. And building that sound design and, and giving it uh, full ambiance and, and the right Foley and all of those things really help sell the reality to people so that you're not disassociated from what you're watching. Yeah, it really does add to the production value more so than anything, I think. And you don't want a ghost who has footsteps. <laughs> I, I just saw a show, a, a big budget show that did that, and I was like, what? <laughs> also, why don't they sink through the floor? Well, that's a, why don't that's they what? Conversation. Why don't they sink through the floor? If they can't touch anything, if they're a ghost, why can they touch the that's floor? The, that's the Kitty Pride X Men <laughs> question. Exactly. How does she not just go? <laughs> oh, there she goes. <laughs> what was that, Kitty Pride? Sometimes she just sort of like slides through. She can't really stay in one place very well. Yeah. Somehow we went from like good sound <laughs> to intangibility <laughs> causing you, you know, go through floors. Yes, I don't know how we did that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm glad you said that because a lot of my freelance work in the past had been with as a boom op or sound mixer and yeah and I uh, definitely and he does it really or, really well. Well, and I appreciate it whenever someone because that's always the last person I ever think of usually is mm -hmm. that sound like oh yeah <laughs> let's do a giant big wide shot and with like a a, ho a hollow room with no carpet or anything. <laughs> And you're going to boom it, okay? You're going to boom everybody. And there's like eight people. And we have like three people that are like different corners of the whole room. And they're all in the same shot. And we like to do it in one. Yeah, peace. Well, a good example for anyone to really, to see, like, you know, we had a, an awesome sound accordist for all of Clutch. But we couldn't afford uh, a top-notch sound mixer for all of Clutch. We had a good sound mixer. Uh, but if you look at, say episode 208 and then compare it to episode 210 you can tell which one we spent the thousand dollars extra on a, a pro sound mixer mm. but it was the same recorded sound so I, I think that it just shows that you really have to pay attention to every level of sound not just one stage oh yeah for sure everybody thinks about the camera they don't think about the sound mixer so mm -hmm. yeah. sound cool. All right, the sound go. just isn't as sexy as the camera <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's a uh, uh, sex phone operator. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, so. Oh, can you tell we're tired? 
<laughs> Are there any other projects that you would like to mention that we forgot to cover or any upcoming projects that you'd like to mention? Yeah, there's a couple others to plug. I just did my ADR for Pete winning season two, which was, uh, speaking of sound, which was a ton of fun. I have a small role in it, um, but I maybe had the the most flattering comment I've ever been given as an actor by the, the sound mixer who, uh, so the sound mixer and person who does the score for Pete winning is Aaron Sang. He won the ISA this year for Pete winning. He's also the sound mixer for asset. So I'd been working with him for a while as a director on asset. And he knew that I was the dad in it with that, but, uh, so he knew I was an actor, but he, when I showed up for my ADR, he was confused as to why he was there. He said, Oh, I didn't know you were helping like run the ADR session or whatever. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm, I'm doing my lines and he had seen the part and he had watched it and gotten all ready, but he didn't recognize me. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't realize that was me. He's like, wow, you are, you're full of surprises there, Mr. Robbins. So that was a pretty cool compliment that I, that I disappeared into the character enough that even someone who knew me didn't recognize me in it. So it's uh, it was a really fun cameo. Um, So that's coming up. And that'll be released in August. And uh, Out of Time, I believe, goes live in September. I've seen, uh, I'm in the pilot of Out of Time. Uh, well, not the pilot, the first episode. And uh, I've seen that at, that at Tia Web Fest, and it's quite well done. It's got a, a really extensive cast from the Toronto Web Series community. Uh, so you'll see a lot of cameos in that. Uh, but I, I'm uh, in that first episode. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much yeah, for Yeah, hopefully for Claude, someone will be talking on a podcast someday going, I found on... Netflix, this really cool movie, Clutch. And anyway, check it out. Fantastic. <laughs> I have the film faith. actually. Is, mm, no, I'm not going to give away the title. It's not called Clutch, though. It's got oh. its own title. Oh. But that's okay. well. Thank you so much for joining us on this Thanks episode. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Au revoir. <laughs> the only French I know. Bye. 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 Hey everybody, this is Jordan Gibson. I play Dark Star on Super Knocked Up, the web series, and you're listening to Genretainment. <laughs> well, thanks to Jonathan for speaking with us, and we've included in the show description the links to some of the shows that we've discussed, so you definitely want to go check those out. Now, also before we go, we do want to remind you that you can keep track of us on our Genretainment Facebook page, Marx's Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marx, our website at genretainment.com, or all of the shows at scifipulseradio.com. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until, Until next, next time. time. Bad monkey.